Hi everyone, I'm Amanda. And I'm Ronnie. And you're listening to Two Person Book Club. Hello, welcome back. How are you doing, Amanda? I've got to ask because you're not sitting across from me right now. I'm doing all right. We are so shut down in Los Angeles right now that Ronnie and I are not in the same place, which bears noting, perhaps. I'm so happy to see you, buddy. Ah, like, I'm happy to hear you, too. We're so grateful that you've um, chosen to set aside an hour or so to uh, hang out with us while you're presumably on lockdown as well. Stay inside, listen to podcasts. And we're thrilled to have you here for this one. Ronnie, tell us what book we're talking about. Yes, yes. Seconded by me. But we're talking about the book Fucked by Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson, mm-hmm. hosts of Guys We Fucked, the anti-slut shaming podcast, and also a comedy duo called Sorry About Last Night, fighting out of the great city of new york yes absolutely two awesome gals an awesome project and uh, a great book yeah this book is great why did these two comedians who have a comedy duo and a podcast write a book well they had a comedy duo and the origin story of their podcast which led to this book is that one of the young ladies corinne went through an awful breakup and to help her process what she had gone through she pitched uh, her comedy partner, Christina, they should do a podcast and bring back all of the young gentlemen that they had had relations with in the past and interview them and be like, hey, various bros, what the fuck? And kind of gather intelligence that way, which asking is, is the best way to get what you want. So it kind of makes sense. And that flowered into a podcast uh, called Guys We Fuck that spread into uh, anti-slut shaming and uh, current events, feminism, being a full person, and it sprouted and grown beyond their wildest dreams, I'm sure, and anybody else's. So they're great. Yeah, very cool. Where do we begin? (laughs) Well, the podcast led to this book because they'd gone through and listened to so many people recount their experiences that they figured, hey, they should condense all of what they could of their advice and put it in a book. And here we have the book Fucked, Being Sexually Explorative and Self-Confident in a World That's Screwed by Corinne and Christina. And that is book number 12 on our podcast, Two Person Book Club. So, Amanda, do you want to get started about it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the things I really enjoy about this book, and both good fiction and nonfiction, is that it seems to bring a good blend of universality and personal experience to the topic of sex. And I think that Corinne and Christina do a really lovely job of basically exploring the topic of sexuality according to their own agenda without taboo or without shame. Early in the book, they make a point of drawing out their project and really specifically looking to obliterate cultural shame surrounding sexuality and sexual practice. Obviously, especially for women, but for for everyone, really. And I think that they tackle a lot of issues in this book with humor and others with seriousness. And more often than not, a combination of the two. There are a number of stories that begin hilarious and end not hilarious or vice versa. And I think that, you know, one of the gifts of it's clear that they're both gifted comedians because a comedian's skill is to handle topics that are taboo with aplomb and bravery 
and humor. And I think that's like a kind of cultural priesthood these yeah, days. Absolutely. And I think that comes across beautifully through the book. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd be thinking, oh my gosh, another sex and relationship advice book. And you're like, do we not have already 500 of these things? But they pull off a minor miracle in that they craft their book and they give advice that is, should be universal. <laughs> but you know, it's, it took a long time for society to realize that, you know, women are people and deserve advice that treats them as people and, and deserve to actually live full, complete lives and do more than just seek to get and keep a man as the end game. And this book I think is the only book I've seen in that kind of vein that is, it's like alt clit lit in that it, walks the fine line between giving advice and being entertaining and it's really it's pretty valuable this book is you know when you give your dog heartworm pills and you have to you know hide it in a big old glob of peanut butter this book fucked is the tastiest glob of peanut butter peanut butter this book is a tastiest glob of peanut butter you'll ever taste and it's got the most beneficial heartworm pills you will ever take yeah yeah i i think that what makes this book necessary perhaps in a realm of copious self and relationship help books is that it's not really that it's more the divulging of personal experience with an eye toward greater connection and less shame it's certainly one part divulgence of personal secrets, which is kind of their whole thing, but also mm -hmm. opening it up for a kind of cultural dialogue that I think is not usually a part of the individuated industry of self-help and relationship advice. Yeah. And it's bone crackingly practical too. Like there's a chapter about what to do if you've been sexually assaulted, uh -huh. which is excessively necessary information that nobody likes to think about or how to, you know, break up with somebody, which is another thing that I've yeah. never heard or read how to do that properly. And I learned a lot from it. So it's, it's, yeah. it's bone crackingly practical too. Are you, uh, are you pretty good at delivering breakups? Now I am after reading fucked. <laughs> Wait, have you gotten to dump someone since reading the book? No, I haven't gotten to dump somebody without reading the book. Yeah. I'm all hat, no cattle. I've got no experience, but I think I'm ready. Okay, Ronnie. I've dumped myself in the mirror countless times. No. <laughs> the time comes, I'm ready. That's exactly the kind of shame talk that this book <laughs> seeks to obviate. And clearly, it's time for you to give it another read. Hey, listen, being single is not the worst thing. We'll get into that. Can we talk about the book's structure? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we may as well. I mean, it's so it's two women and they basically have divided individual extraordinarily short chapters into kind of like individual personal essays. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, I think so. I, th I think each of them, like if they were drafting topics that they wanted to write in this book, Corinne has various specialties that she drafted for herself. Uh, Christina has various specialties that she drafted for herself. And they both write more or less to what they know. And that's what makes their podcast good. They're differing perspectives. And they usually don't overlap except in the topic of monogamy and polyamory. Mm 
where they mm-hmm. both chip in on that chapter. Corinne, she doesn't feel compersion. She firmly rejects the idea that a poly relationship is for her. She understands how people do get it, but it's just not for her. Christina recounts a couple of experiences, bringing a third into her relationship that she describes in the book, and she describes how it might work for her. But I think that's the only topic that they both pitch in on, and they pitch in on different sides of it. It's, it's pretty interesting. Everything else, they're pretty much of accord. Yeah, it's all good. And, and through the whole book, it's kind of this do you sort of vibe, which I think is really refreshing. There's a reference very early in the book about the experience of being a comic, especially a comic in New York, and how female comics, quote, that we had proven ourselves worthy of equal stage time, were still letting men steal our spotlight by making a lot of our material about them. We were allowing the men in our lives to determine our value and overshadow all the other things we had to offer audiences apart from our relationship status. And I thought that this was so interesting because it's definitely something I've seen in the comedy world in both New York and LA, both of which are, you know, great scenes while distinct that I have a lot of respect for. And I think that when you think about passing the Bechdel test, (laughs) not only in your industry, but also in life, this idea of objectification as something that emerges from an idea of being female that still has the male basically as its centrifugal force, right? It's not just about who gets to participate. It's not just about the content. It's about the paradigm, right? It's about like true equality is about who gets to craft the paradigm and who gets to basically design reality. So when as a woman, everything from your life to your conversation to your career is in some way in reference to men, we have a pretty serious problem. And I guess I I appreciate the framework of this book insofar as it, I think, addresses that, which is interesting from two, I mean, it's two very self-identified as primarily heterosexual females. There's no like gender ambiguity for these two writers. Um, And they're obviously extremely clear about their sexual preferences. And I think it's important that we use a high degree of consideration in our language surrounding feminism. But I also think that it's really important to keep that conversation going because so much of entertainment professions, but uh, to a certain degree, all female existence is still very much in relationship to the male or to men. And I think the gals are rightly unhappy about that in this little tone. Yeah, that's Corinne. And that's kind of a hobby horse of hers. Um, Spoiler alert, I do and have listened to their podcast for uh, years and years and years. And that definitely comes up often as a hobby horse of particularly Corinne's. She and and she mentioned it in the book, she and her colleague Katie Hannigan decide to create a show where they don't talk about sex relationships or anything like that. They call it the Comedian Project. And it's hard. It is hard to pass the the Bechdel test in actual day-to-day life. And it's really, yeah. really weird. And I didn't know that until I started listening to them and particularly Corinne talk about and be frustrated with how so many young ladies' lives 
revolve around the gentleman that they're involved with. It's almost like they're under hypnosis. I think Corinne kind of approaches the world like she's not from it, like she's from another planet. She's looking around. She's like, why are all these people doing all this stupid shit? This is out of control. And and I'm nervous that because I'm seem to not be caught in this trap, but everybody else is doing all this kind of thing. And it's, it's making me feel like really, really weird and really out there. Like I'm kind of an alien. It's interesting to me that she and Christina had such different upbringings, but that led them to the same place. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The thing I was going to comment on real quickly about <laughs> the Bechtel test, which is something I've been thinking about quite a bit lately, is that even the Bechtel test is not comprehensive. You have to dig pretty deep to get to a concept of female or non-binary representation that is actually on equal par with the representation and centricity of the male right now. And I think that, like, so for instance, even if a piece of work passes the Bechtel test, if two women are having a conversation that's not about men, but it is about makeup or dresses, we still have a problem. And I guess that's the frock talk for this episode. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about the limitations even of these kinds of rules that belie a deeper issue with the kind of like masculine structuring of society. And it's a real bummer. Yeah, it goes freaking deep, right? It goes way deep, like such that yesterday I was, uh, not yesterday, but two days ago, I was sitting at my home because I wanted to, not because I was forced to by the local government. You, you were forced to, though, to clarify. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I might have been, but I was home by myself, not going outside because I wanted to. But I was watching television. I was watching ESPN2 and they had the Ocho going. I was enjoying every minute of it, but I'm like, this is some 12 year old boy shit. And there's no, absolutely no qualms about putting this on TV under the auspices of a network that makes hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars a year. And nobody's saying anything about it. It's normal, it's hilarious, and it's awesome. But you think of what your normal average 12 year old girl is interested in. And you try and put that on TV for 24 hours. Oh, my goodness. The world would burn down. Like, you'd have people flipping tables. It'd just not be good. So Wait, what do you think the average 12-year-old girl is interested in? You I have the can of work, my friend. <laughs> I have no idea past reading, like, a couple dozen Babysitter's Club's books. Okay. All right. And so even, you're perhaps more equipped than most However, <laughs> yeah, I've got no clue because we have you that hard under our thumbs. It's crazy. It's not ideal. You know? um, even uh, the Babysitter's Club books don't pass the frock talk test, which is what I've decided to call it now. Sure. As often as I would prefer to be frank. <laughs> even in Christie's books, when Christie is one billion percent gay. Fuck, man. Yeah. And she's she's tomboying all over town. Why can't we just let it be about baseball without her being distracted by the male coach of the other team? Right. And, and that's Why can't just be about baseball. I would read an entire book. Well, I mean, if you asked me to, I would read an entire book about Christy and the gang just playing baseball. Yeah, Christy and her ragtag group of kids. But stretching to when we get to older women, I'm wondering how different a society would be if people just, you know, settled where they are 
essentially. Like if you don't like to go running five miles or go on the treadmill or anything like that, and just don't do it. Like just settle where you are, pretend you're 55 years old instead of trying to make yourself look a certain way or act a certain way for the attention of young gentlemen. And it's, it's weird. I think it's to the point where even if you say, Oh, it makes me feel good. I mean, what makes you feel good? Is it because you seem like you have a leg up to catch the eye of young gentlemen? It's, it's really weird. And it's pretty disturbing the more I think about it. First of all, to address your underlying question, the point of life is to catch the eye of young gentlemen. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) No, I'm obviously kidding. I wish that I had known when I was younger, and I've never felt in my entire life that the purpose of life is to catch the eye of young gentlemen. However, a lot of people say it both overtly and covertly pretty much all the time. And um, there are a lot of little anecdotes in this book that I definitely relate to when I think about growing up and sort of finding certain things out in the wrong order or being made to feel a particular way about one's physical presence as a female body in the world. And it's interesting how, you know, those issues evolve. And I think certainly we have to constantly dissect, not only as women, but I think to a certain degree, perhaps especially women, have to dissect why we have particular goals or objectives to make sure, for instance, something as simple as going to the gym is not in order to attract a mate. It is to be healthy and, you know, live forever and create good work um, right. uh, or whatever, you know. But, but I do think that, again, some of this stuff is so deeply culturally entrenched that it can be really, really difficult to not do the right things for the wrong reasons. And going to the gym is great, albeit not right this minute. Stay home and do push-ups. Yeah, but stay home and do push-ups, guys. Stay home and do push-ups. We'll put it in the show notes. With Ronnie's other workout advice. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. I want to say like detailed detailed instructions for building your own blanket fort. Is that absolutely oh yeah. I will diagram all of it. Marvelous, marvelous. I insist on both. <laughs> but but I, I do think that you know, this, this pressure and this idea and this allure of being adored is something that is basically socially inculcated to a degree that can possibly be completely separated from individual want. And that's super fucking weird and not great. Yeah. How did it hit you? Did it slam you in the face like it did Christina when people started looking at Christina in a weird way that made her uncomfortable? Or did it kind of creep up on you? Or did you wake up one day and you're like, oh, this is all wrong. All of this is wrong. You know, I had, much like Christina, I developed crazy early, like way too early. And I remember different layers of this. Obviously, like part of me like enjoyed it because when you're when you're young in whatever way you want to be grown up in some way mm-hmm. and i hadn't thought i had not had the occasion to think when i was that young that my experience of quote unquote growing up would be so closely tied to the way that i was perceived by a masculine populace and i remember being made fun of like when i was in middle school like what is it? this is horrifying but like in the sixth grade male classmates would make fun of me because they would see one of the coaches at the school basically ogling me during sports practice and i was like 
so disgusting, so repulsive. And I was both not willing to admit it and also deeply humiliated and also in the same stroke made to feel that it was my fault. (laughs) You know, yeah. So there's a lot that Christina writes about in this book that is like, yeah, before, before women often are even given the chance to feel any kind of way about pubescence or coming of age or however you want to phrase it, all those darling changes that our bodies inevitably go through, regardless of gender, before we're basically given the chance to feel any way about it, we are often inculcated with ideas about ourselves and about the world that are not only wrong, but also dangerous and also prevent us often from coming to healthy ideas about ourselves until much later in life. And I I think it's funny, the book is in many ways, so approachable, (laughs) so flippant, that it's, it's hard to use the term like important to describe this book. But if this book is important, one of the things about this book that's super important is to basically provide an alternative path for self-discovery and the understanding of a person as a sexual self, uh, free from that hyper-masculine, deep-in-the-woodwork, sort of nasty, prevailing cultural narrative. Yeah, that's that sucks. That's horrible. Yeah, and it affected me, too, because I was definitely in there. Me and my friend were... No, I'm, I only gave up on, on my growth spurt like five weeks ago, right before the coronavirus started. But in middle school, like we were all monsters, me and us boys, like we were heartless people. We'd make fun of the girls in our class into high school. We'd call them terrible names and make awful jokes. It was, it's looking back on it. I'm like, Oh, that's horrible really really bad stuff and i'm very very sorry on behalf of women i accept your apology that's that's not enough um <laughs> should we call some other people <laughs> i guess i i mean I've got, we got nothing but time on our hands i could go through the phone book and call every classically female sounding name and apologize in person <laughs> Yeah, and then start your own way behind the Times podcast to document your efforts <laughs> at, at apologizing exactly. to all women. Let's make <laughs> feminism about me, a man doing stuff. Yes, that's right. the way it goes. Exactly, it does. Sometimes, even accidentally, that is the paradigm. That yep. is the shape of things. That's how thick the air is. It's a super fucking bummer. We need more ladies like Corinne and Christina out there having real sex and talking about it in a real way and not feeling fucking bad about it. I think if that was all this book was, that's enough. I think it's great. Yeah. But it's so much more than that. Learning about women from women's point of view has made me feel stupid very, very many times. Let's talk about shame. Can we talk about shame? Because that is a central thread in this book. Yes, Um, absolutely. I think this book talks about shame in a different way than I've heard it talked about. Like it's you ceding control of how you feel to other people. So it's like ceding ownership of your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions, and your self-worth to everybody else and letting them control you. And Mm. whether it's letting religion control you if you're a lady and you want to terminate a pregnancy or letting society control you if you're a dude that is interested in dudes and making sure you don't do that because 
anything feminine is bad and all that kind of thing. And it's re it's weird. It's bad. It's, it's interesting seeing it from the outside because it's, it's so pervasive that you don't really, you know, you rarely step outside yourself and, and experience it. Yeah. There's, there's a reference in the book that I really appreciate and that I think is very, very accurate, which basically suggests that women register shame in connection with quote, unattainable, conflicting, competing expectations about who they're supposed to be, whereas men register shame as weakness. And I think that that is beautifully put. I don't, you know, while that's obviously a very, very gendered assessment, I don't think it's inaccurate. And I, and I love the follow-up quote from the same individual whose last name I will inevitably mispronounced. So apologies. Motikaitis, or M-O-T-E-K-A-I-T-I-S. She, she follows it by saying, perfection is the birthplace of shame. And I, I think it's one of the truest points that is struck upon in this book. And I think that, I don't know, I guess I'm curious, like that, any experience of shame I've ever had certainly stems from that realm of unattainable, conflicting and competing expectations or the kind of demand for perfection, which has been very well documented scientifically with regard to the performance of young girls. I remember reading an amazing article about this a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I will find it. It's either in the Atlantic or the New Yorker because, you know, no apologies. That's where all my news comes from. <laughs> <Exactly>. uh, <laughs> the Atlantic but, or the New Yorker. Mm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep my mouth shut about that. Um, but have you have you found the opposite side of that to be true? That for men, the experience of shame is uh, traditionally registered as weakness. Yeah, you see it with certain folks who make a rule that they will never apologize for something. Mm. Sometimes you have you like apologizing up until yeah. like I think a few a couple years ago where I think on our side there's been the rise of, you know, being vulnerable and open as men. Before then, when we were in the kind of dominance era, apologizing was definitely seen as weakness. It was something you did tactically. Like if you were back into a corner and maybe even if you were back into a corner, you'd always deny, deny, deny. And some people still hold on to that deny, deny, deny thing and you'll just get out of it. But yeah, I think the whole shame is weakness thing kind of bleeds into the situation where folks might be going a little too far in the other direction when it comes to being like so out there that it becomes dangerous it's one thing to cast aside shame but then you don't want to get to a place where you're ashamed of you know not being the craziest person on the planet and you're ashamed of you know not being the guy that jumps off the highest diving board or eats the grossest thing or like has the craziest story from the weekend because there is a shame associated with that as well. Ronnie, open up to me right now. Are you ashamed of not eating the grossest thing? Sometimes because you know, you, you can, what is the grossest thing you've eaten? Uh, grossest thing I've eaten. I don't remember. I don't remember food. I'm bad at food. Uh, see i feel bad because i don't have awesome stories now you've been shamed in exactly the way you just described exactly 
So I'm just going to sit in the corner and do nothing. Um, say, the other thing, that, the other quote that I love about shame in this book, actually, of many, to be fair, mm-hmm. is that this idea that all violence is an attempt to replace shame with self-esteem. What do you think of that? True. That's very true. I mean, there's no good reason, but that is the reason why I'd say a lot of men beat women because you don't want to have some puny woman get one over on you. So the one thing you have on her is violence. And so that's, that's how it comes out. That's one of the reasons why we're so terrified of you guys, which is why the control is so harsh. That's why the, it's such tight bone cracking control with systems and, and, and institutions and physical violence, because we're so terrified of being rejected by a woman. It's a really horrible feeling that like when your life is that, Oh, you should be able to, I mean, you're nothing if you can't go out and just snag a lady when a lady's out of your grasp, it's a really, really bad feeling. I felt that feeling. It's, 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 horrible horrible feeling and since we're started out bigger than you guys we've set up a whole lattice work to kind of control and traffic you guys uh and it's it really really sucks that's how powerful the shame is and the need for control is it's crazy yeah you like i are a fan of the hardcore history podcast that dan carlin does and i'm always interested when he sort of takes salacious detour into historically exploring the overlay of sexual and military violence um, Mm -hmm. which of course is pretty extensive throughout history and every hemisphere and i think yeah that idea that all violence is an attempt to replace shame with self-esteem what we really mean is to to subjugate right that violence is an attempt to subjugate as an extension of personal shame i think that's tremendously interesting as an idea yeah anyway super cheery observation absolutely oh i think that john ronson would agree with you too you know (laughs) that entire the entire constellation of the psychopath test which we Mm -hmm. read together and is also tremendously fascinating i think that the psychotic tendency to be violent is probably tied to a kind of vanity that also lines up with the profile of psychopathy what do you think yeah when you can't express yourself the most elemental way to express yourself is by hitting something and that's why when you're like emotionally blocked up and society demands it of you as one way to acceptably express yourself it's through violence i know that they mentioned in the book that there is a study that was done about emotions when a love relationship breaks up men suffer more emotion intense emotional distress than women so i think the outcome of the study was that uh, women feel emotions outwardly and we stuff it down but our emotions are deeper and last longer which makes sense what with hardcore music and emo music but when you can't express those emotions acceptably in society but for one or two ways you're going to pick lashing out in anger which is it sucks it's too bad right so two things first of all let me just say to our honor and shame females have also been behind some pretty impressive emo music. So you know, don't feel like you have the complete lockdown on that. Second of all, but hardcore? Um, 
Well, uh, yeah, I think if we did some digging, uh, maybe, you know, I'm no expert um, and I definitely am, am not going to admit it if I am on this podcast. <laughs> there's, there's a pretty reckless. There's a <laughs> We'll drop Ronnie's favorite email bands um, on female contributors into the show notes. But no, I, I think also, I mean, I think when we talk about repression, when we talk about societal repression, obviously that manifests as a kind of violent or violent expression. I think that I would like to read more about that study. Uh, my impression in that passage was super fascinating, but also that seems like a phenomenally difficult thing to quantify, particularly because it's based on private self-reporting. And I think that it would be interesting to delve a little bit deeper into that subject. I, you know, I'm always a little skeptical when something is that socially influenced and also based on self-reporting and also not explained a little more thoroughly, which is, which is not this book. This book does not set out to explain that more thoroughly than it's explained. Mm -hmm. And that's totally cool and great. And I think it's important to rethink the way that we think about male emotion, but I guess the, the strict femaleness and maleness of that study and not having a little bit more information about it struck me as too simple to latch onto in this context. Yeah, does that that's sense? true. That makes sense. And it's worth looking at the study. I will find it and post it. Or the show notes fairy will post it in the show notes. Yeah, find but it. Let's it, have all the information we can get. I mean, that's, yeah. that's one of the themes of the book. Yeah. And this book is very extensively footnoted and impressively footnoted because... Yeah, it's delightful, actually. Yeah, one, they're very thorough and they want to make sure that the advice they're giving since they command a legion of very young very impressionable mostly female people in that the information that they're putting in this book is well backed up and that they i think they go out of their way because since they're young themselves and also comics and also made their name talking very very plainly as a code for like using all kinds of crazy, dirty language and saying all kinds of crazy shit. They want to prove to everybody out there that they know what the fuck they're talking about and that this stuff is important enough to back up and research so that it's taken seriously. Yeah. I think backing your shit up is um, kind of a good rule of thumb. May I mention my favorite source of shame covered in the book? Yes, yes. Masturbation. And there is some scholarly research, footnoted, of course, mm -hmm. that coincides fairly heavily with our beloved Jill Lepore and her work in The Mansion of Happiness when she oh, discusses yes. the of breakfast cereal and mm -hmm. its grand project of curbing masturbation in teen boys. Yep. That's another thing that's a huge source of shame, which shouldn't be. Uh, I think they mentioned that a Surgeon General got herself fired over talking about masturbation. She was forced to resign. Yeah, she yeah. was forced to resign from the Clinton administration. And contrast that to a couple of days ago, the New York City Department of Health in an attempt to stop the novel coronavirus from spreading in New York City highlighted that you can and should use sex toys and masturbate instead or go online and do cyber sex. Just not, just don't come in contact. And they said that so plainly and so matter of factly, and that rated so little in society. 
and that's just 18 years after a U.S. Surgeon General couldn't even get away with mentioning that it should be talked about in schools, maybe. Yeah, and she must be like, God damn it, you fucking (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I totally agree. And she's she's like (laughs) mini version of Anita Hill being like, what the hell? I died for you people. Did you ever see that episode of the West Wing where the Surgeon General is requested to resign because she says that she basically says there's like no proof and link between like marijuana and crime or addiction or like mm-hmm. health defects or whatever. And then she's asked to resign. Did, oh, did yeah. you seen that episode? No, I haven't. I haven't watched the West Wing at all, actually. I won't lie to you, Ronnie. I'm sorry. I've been watching a lot of West Wing in these dark times. <laughs> it's and, not the worst thing uh, to watch. God, it's too, it's, if you are craving a world that is idealistic and pure, where the people are well-spoken, well-meaning and dignified, consider West Wing. Mm, yeah. yeah. I guess second best president America's ever had, President Bartlett, after President David Palmer from 24. Yeah, which is, I don't want to tip my hand too much here, but I think we each are experts on one of those two presidents and maybe <laughs> in this time of watching too much Netflix. The time is to put our hands together and then discuss both. <laughs> exactly. Bonus episode coming. Fictional <laughs> president. Two person film club. Two person fictional. <laughs> two person fictional political podcast club. Oh my god! Yeah, we could like slowly put together our dream cabinet uh, for listeners' <laughs> benefit. Oh, that would gosh. be marvelous. Yeah. Oh, um, anyway, actually, you remind me a little bit of Dula Hill. He's he's just like a hot, short, earnest black dude with a great face and and beautiful ethics. Oh, thank you. You probably relate to him a lot. I'm probably related to Dula Hill. Absolutely. Yes. I'm going to call him and ask him for money. Yeah. During your inevitable <laughs> COVID-19 ancestry.com rabbit hole. Right. <laughs> We're sixth cousins. Oh man. Anyway, all this to say, so masturbation yeah. officially endorsed by New York Good yep. for them. I was going to ask you, this is so interesting. So, you know, obviously this is an incredibly bizarre time for dating and sexuality in general, because as well, I mean, as they note very early in this book, the idea of sexuality is an intrinsically social act, which is why I think there's, there's a quote I didn't jot down, but remember, which is something along the lines of the reason that vibrators haven't put prostitutes out of business is that sex is intrinsically social. Right. And I guess, I don't know, like what's, what's your take on this whole crazy time where we're not allowed to go outside, but you know, do you have this dimension of human self? Yeah. Sex is natural and all that. Well, I'm just going to pair it because you should have asked me this yesterday because I just listened to an episode of another guiding light podcast, the Savage Love cast where Dan Savage goes over what you can and might want to do while it's not a good idea to come within six feet of somebody else. And like he says, nobody's dick is six feet and six inches long. So you can't fuck somebody from six feet away. Um, What were his alternate recommendations? (laughs) He mentioned the New York department of health guidelines positively talk to somebody, go back to the Jane Austen tortured letter writing, Victorian England, get to know somebody Mm. through letters, have long conversations on the sexual end, use sex toys, vibrators and other kinds of sex toys. Go online, 
use especially for sex workers who might and probably have seen their business slow down they can go online they can become like everybody's a cam person or able to be a cam person you can do cyber sex with your partner or with a stranger you can bring back chat roulette you can do all kinds of things i'm so sorry what? at the risk of sounding super naive what is chat mm-hmm. roulette is that exactly what it sounds like Yes. Chat roulette is where you press a button. You're on a video chat. You press a button, you get matched up with somebody else that's on chat roulette. Is it intrinsically sexual or is it? Usually. Oh, I, I'm surprised you hadn't heard of it. It was like big in the mid 2000 first decades, like 2007, 2008. Usually it was just, you'd hit the button, you would do the roulette and it's just dicks. Yikes. Well, I mean, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I would have been like in high school. No, no. early college, early college, early yeah. college. I was not doing, I was using the internet for researching papers and Facebook had just been invented. I was not chat rouletting. Were you chat rouletting? No, I heard about it, but I, I consciously stayed away from it because it was, it's usually dicks. Yikes. That sounds yeah. like an unmitigated, unregulated nightmare. Yeah. Some people are into it. What, is it still, is that a thing? I don't Again? know where chat roulette still? is gone, but if it wants to make a comeback, there's no better time than now <laughs> for chat roulette to make a comeback. Well, let's be honest. Whenever this airs, there won't have been a better time. Absolutely. Speaking of dicks, um, that Girl, reminded um, me of one of the anecdotes. It's Christina's anecdote, and she was talking about the only time that she'd ever just walked away from a one-night stand. Uh, she yes, says the, you're talking about. the guy's dick was as big as two cans of soda and like, end, right? mm-hmm. is it like two cans of regular soda or like two cans of white claw where they're like tall and skinny or LaCroix where it's like short and fat. Cause I can't imagine that either way. I, I mean, I, I was picturing cans of LaCroix, but LaCroix, I think it's, it's it's LaCroix. LaCroix. yeah, is it? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's made in Michigan, and so when you, <laughs> this is my hobby horse. Just like their you hobby speak, horse is not saying yes, Queen. In Michigan, it's still French. It's not. I mean, it's a proper name. It's a brand name. They can pronounce it however the hell they want. All right, we'll include a link to the um, Lacroix or Lacroix. It's Lacroix. I'm telling you straight up, it's Lacroix. Anyway. All right, great. Prove it in the show notes. I'm sure I'll. Of- be glad to eat crow. Go ahead. <laughs> two cans of Coke or two cans of White Claw? It's, I think it's more like two cans of Coke. That's oh, White still... White Claw cans are different shape? Yeah, they're taller and skinnier. I mean, either way, terrifying. But they didn't have White Claw when this book was originally written, so I'm going to say Coke. Oh, my gosh. It was... Terrifying. It was terrifying. Ins- How does that I happen? I just feel like it's a little rude for her to, like, flee the scene. I think that... I mean, maybe, but then you weigh that against the kind of deference and shame that women have to like show to men, especially when their dicks are out. And I'm fine with it. It's a good, I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. Certainly. certainly, It is, it is her prerogative to leave the scene whenever she wants. Right. But I will say, you know, if you're, if you're attracted to this person who she describes as an extremely attractive fellow i believe he's british and is in mm-hmm. the presidential suite at a notable at the waldorf Astoria. At the waldorf right and i'm not saying any of that should govern any kind of decisions but as they point out in the book time and again there are a lot of things you can do to a dick outside of 
having it inside of you in any capacity, I just to actually peace out. That's a bold move. <laughs> and it's a I bold mean, move. It's your prerogative. Total respect. I mean, but that's a bold move. I might be biased because I like because I like these ladies, but it's okay to pop that bubble of a guy that has a giant dick. <laughs> and although she does say that he's probably he was like oh like it wasn't the first time this happened to him so I, I also think it's I funny that like I, i'm certainly conditioned to there's no world in which any of us should ever feel sorry for a rich british guy with a giant penis staying in the presidential suite at the Waldorf. Oh no, is your penis too large for sex? Like nobody feels bad for this guy. I mean, it might not be too large for sex. Like the difference yeah. between I mean, difference between him and somebody that, you know, can't manage to get somebody to come home with them is pretty slim because neither of them is getting it in. Him because his dick's too big. The reason why you can't get it in is that important <laughs> because you can't you can't get that experience going and that's sad in a little in a little bit of a sense i hope the reason he's so rich is that he's published a moody book of poetry hopefully he's published a moody book of poetry how hard, how hard it is literally and figuratively in his right. circumstances um, oh gosh poor but life is too good, and ironically he just he can't get what he wants this poor guy oh well if we can figure out who he is we'll definitely start a kickstarter campaign for this poor rich fuck and his inability dick to reduction surgery oh gross you know there is breast reduction um i know like there's that. breast reduction awesome. surgery yeah yeah that's oh real gosh <laughs> yeah i know so, sometimes no, no 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 it's fine i don't care i don't have a stake in it it's your health you don't want to have back problems or if you don't want to have as big boobs as you have right now don't have them it's not i'm not anywhere near that point of decision making good answer that was um, yeah. i did not mean to lay a trap for you but oh, you no. I'm, I'm not drake i will pay for a reduction if you want it <laughs> and i can it's true you've said that before and it seems that you'll say it again you are not Drake. <laughs> I'm not Drake. <laughs> I'm not Obs. Oh, man. Oh, boy. I miss you, buddy. I wish you were here in, in the little studio right now. <laughs> right. Okay, well, there's more to this book than um, talk about shame and stories about giant dicks. There's a lot of practical advice and content in this book. It's our kind of first self-help book, really, if you don't count Lost in the Cosmos, which is kind of a joke self-help book. Yeah. And some of the stuff, the self-helpy part that jumped out to me, actually, was the chapter about alcohol and the chapter about rape. So... Um, yeah, go ahead. No, go, I was going to mention the chapter about alcohol, like it's christina's chapter and it says when it comes to alcohol don't be a fucking idiot and i'm like fair because you listen to people that have been there and that you like and respect and admire and you can tell that Kern and christina have been there and they have the stripes to be able to say you know what i've been to the mountaintop and it ain't that great and i think christina ends the chapter by saying does alcohol give you all your confidence? Do you feel unattractive when you're sober? Do you dislike yourself? If you answered yes to any of those questions, put down the beer and figure out why. And I'm like, you're right. 
you know, <laughs> because the end of that tunnel, especially for their guys who fucked fan base, it's usually young women that are between the ages of 15 and like 23. And yeah. in that age, if you're a young gentleman or a young lady, you are wrapped up in the kind of boozy culture of college and you eventually get to a place where you get to the end of that of that fuse and you're like there's nothing there and it's good that christina kind of helps you along there and is like listen there's this ends this the fun times with booze ends like you need to learn how to like yourself before especially when you hook up you just a lot of people have to be drunk to hook up and that's just a road to nowhere you have to like yourself and like be present for it, which is a big thing with Christina being present. You have to be present to do it well. And it's, it's a lot better than, you know, getting wasted and getting down. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing I like about that section that you just mentioned is that it's practical without shaming, right? It's saying, yeah, of course you're a human fucking person. Like have drinks. It's okay to have sex after having drinks. Like there's no, there's no enforcement of shame here. However, it is really important to know thyself and to maybe investigate further if there's an unhealthy link between either of those two things or just unhealthiness in either area of those two things. And I think that, yeah, I think it's cool, practical, like good older sister advice. Like that's, yeah, it's cool, practical advice. Yeah. And the other section that's very, very practical and very, very necessary is what to do if you've been assaulted. Because a lot of times on their show, they get letters from young women who've been sexually assaulted and they just lay it out. And they've learned and I've learned through listening to them that it's really, really, really touchy. and It's a horrible, I mean, the not just being raped, but trying to figure out what to do afterwards is a monstrous minefield and so having a subchapter devoted to that is especially for their fan base and their demographic is really really important and it's really it's awesome that that exists laying out what you're going to have what's going to happen and so on and so forth yeah i i think that section of the chapter where they go into a fair amount of detail of just very practically what to expect if you report and with no shame, if you don't report, but you know, an encouragement to report and just kind of an honest appraisal of what happens if you do is so important. Like the step-by-step of how invasive procedures will be at the police station, the order of events, the, the very stark statistics, which I think everyone should be aware of, of how rarely, rape convictions are made. Uh, I mean, the, I think the, the number is six in a thousand at the time of this book's publication just mm-hmm. a couple years ago for rapists who are convicted and see a day of jail time. It's tremendously disheartening, but I think that, you know, as they stress in various points of the book, including this one, knowledge is empowering. And I think it's really, really important, especially considering how many individuals experience sexual assault to have a clear understanding of what that process is so that you can feel some measure of agency in a moment when it's literally just been stolen from you. I think this is an incredibly important part of the book. And I think it's very cool that they've chosen to include it. Right. 
And a lot of this book is really close to the ground, just like that. They have a chapter on abortion and how to get one if you need one. A lot of facts. Yeah. Right. They lay that out and how that is in the United States in the mid to late 2010s. And then they also have a chapter about anal sex and how that goes down, which is probably new in the book landscape. And they have a chapter that I mentioned about how to break up with somebody that I've studied back in front <laughs> because screw getting in a relationship, getting out of one, that's, that's the skill. Oh yeah. I was going to ask earlier though, do you, maybe you haven't broken up with anyone recently, but, uh, do you have like any deliciously gory breakup stories that you could share with our listeners? No, not really. I'm not that cool. I kind of a classy guy. I, you know, Oh I no, that. absolutely not. <laughs> no, only because I don't think like I've never risen to the level that it's like going to, you know, Suffolk community college and playing like you went to Harvard. I've never been up there so hard that I would call like any change in any, my relationship with anybody having broken up with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I've lost a friendship and that's, that was really, really tough. And that was really tough. Like I went crazy for like a year and a half, but that's not, that's not quite breaking up with somebody. Yeah. Loss of friendship is an important thing though. We don't talk about yeah. that often enough. I guess. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you. Oh, it was my fault. It's okay. I think we're coming up on time, but I wanted to mention one more thing. Yeah, it's good that in Corinne's chapter, she went over how to break up with somebody. So you never know how to hurt somebody properly, which is a good thing that they go over. We are going to end this podcast with not going over a lot of this book. So you have to get the book and actually read it because it's really, really good and, and valuable and practical and, and funny. podcast as well. Like you oh, go yeah. and, you know, track them down. We'll obviously put that in the show notes for sure. Absolutely. If you're not already aware of them. They're great resources. I found them randomly because I was trying to, because I never, I didn't grow up with any sisters and I just wanted a better grasp of what was going on inside women's heads. I didn't have very many female friends or female friends that I would, I could crawl into their heads and talk to them about that kind of thing. So I'm like, what actually is going on in there? And I found their podcast on a whim because of its very, very rich title. And I'm like, okay. Which they fought for. Yeah, which they definitely fought to get listed in iTunes. And I'm like, these are women that will probably tell me what they're actually thinking and try not to sugarcoat it. And I got a lot more than I expected. And I learned so much from Corinne and Christina, a lot of invaluable stuff. And it led me to realize how the society we've built is so, so bonkers. It's like we're a, a real life Kabuki show. 24 7 365 and a quarter your experience with being led to Corinne and christina's podcast also led you to live shows right oh yeah yeah they did a couple tours for when they were just getting on with the podcast and they solicited stories from the audience and i got to go up and tell them a story 
and brought the house down with the story, which is crazy. I know you're not going to tell it right now on this podcast, but that's a real tease. <laughs> oh no, it's it's good. No, it's good. I was I was just thrilled that some part of my tiny little life was able to raid <laughs> and at least be entertaining for some people, including Corinne and Christina, presumably. Yes, when we get to one million listeners, when we get to a million <laughs> downloads, I'll tell the story. You heard it, people. You want to hear Ronnie's weird sex story? Tell your friends about this podcast. We, we just need. 20 more to get to a million <laughs> when we get there we're very close one last thing i wanted to mention before we close is when corinne in one of her chapters talks about how she was kind of annoyed that she fell for her boyfriend at the time of the original writing of this book because she's like her whole life was wrapped around being good enough as an individual and not being the moon to some boy. And she talks about when she finally made it Facebook official, she got a flood of comments about, hey, this is great, good for you. And she's kind of pissed because she's like, what the hell? I didn't like come home from war or kick meth or got a PhD. I just got a boyfriend. This is stupid. Yeah. And she mentions how it's like kind of insane to have a woman, quote unquote, give up and just go solo and how that just makes society's brain break. And I'm thinking that that's, it's a little bit the same when as a gentleman, when you decide, you know what, I'm just going to stop the chase. People can't deal with people not being in relationships. I'm wondering why that is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say about that, but I do think that for all genders, it's not a good idea to define yourself by another person ever. And I think that that is obviously historically true and sociologically true. And I think, unfortunately, it's often a manifestation of that female tendency to regard oneself in relationship to maleness. And yeah, I mean, what else can I say about it? It's the worst. Yeah. I, I would be as pissed as Corinne was. To be certain, I, I think that at our best, we want to be recognized for ourselves and our achievements and for making a positive impact in this crazy world. And to partner up with someone is no heroic achievement. Yeah. Corinne says, as long as we keep straight single women questioning their value, men will always be the hottest commodity and they just aren't. Emphasis hers. She's found out our secret. She must be stopped. I feel especially discouraged about the way that that plays out in graduate programs. When you look at statistics of female inclusion performance or even just like willingness to put your hand up in class, I think that the way that women are regarded by education and the way that they regard themselves vis-a-vis -vis education certainly has come a long way, but is still super problematic because, you know, until we live in a society where where women feel equally entitled to pursue entrepreneurship and be respected as individuals without being in relation to maleness or their male counterparts, we're going to continue to have a very, very serious problem. Like the most rational avenue for success will still be disgustingly sociologically in relation to men and we have to stop behaving like that's the case yeah yeah it's fucked up and it's scary super scary yeah yeah but anyway let's transition to something yeah. more fun like vocabulary i want to say 
Yeah, let's do vocab. What was your word? My first, the first word that I jotted down was aclocracy. It's a great word for all occasions. Damn it. That was my word. Was I you? knew you'd take it. <laughs> ah, motherfucker. Um, yes. It just I stuck out you. right there. It's right there. It's so it's such a beautiful word. It's so much fun to say. Aclocracy, government by a mob, you know, mm-hmm. mob rule in general. Okay. It's so good. But I did, I have a bonus sort of uh, fave expression. If that's helpful, if you want to take aclocracy, I'm happy to resort to my favorite expression. Do it. Which is to slay peen. Slay peen. That's a Christina my special. My favorite, it's my favorite expression in the book. <laughs> Maybe ever. <laughs> Slave heen. Dick oh, to boy. bomb. <laughs> okay. Yes. Up, um, that, that, that's also one of my favorite songs, Loki. Uh, oh. Can we drop the, the song Dick to bomb into the show notes? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. No. <laughs> no my word problem, was... It's problematic, but uh, just a darling song. Anyway, hey, it's a good place to start. No, my, my word was aclocracy too. Mob rule. That was great. So get this book. Definitely. Ladies, you'll learn how to stand outside the cultural dominance of men and gentlemen. You'll learn why it's cool to stick a finger up your butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, ideas to live by. And for all genders, there are, I want to say, upwards of five or six sketches of vaginas. So we can all enjoy that. That's something for everyone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All kinds of vaginas. Yeah, all good. Great. (laughs) Cool. Marvelous. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for Fucked. This episode was edited and produced by Daniel Eastler with production support by Joshua Noble. Support your local libraries, bookstores, and other habitats for reading and writing, which right now is largely online. So please be sure to check out what your city and local libraries and bookstores are doing in a virtual capacity and be sure to show up for it. Yes, yes. We would also love to hear from our listeners. I'm on Twitter as Amanda J. Bermudez and on Instagram as a.j.bermudez. And I'm on Twitter at I don't read this and on Instagram at the heart is a Ronnie Hunter. Ronnie spelled R-O-N-Y. Very good. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We've never appreciated it more. And please do find us on the web at twopersonbookclub.com. You can also email us at tpbcpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us collectively on Instagram at the number two person book club. So two person book club. We do all our crazy stuff there. Books, mind boggle, reading spaces, all that fun, random past the time shit. And it's never been more important to follow us on social media because that is where we will be announcing our upcoming episodes. Absolutely. We've been at this for a whole year. And so I know we're like the 2% of podcasters that make it a year. Uh, We are cooking up a lot of fun stuff for ourselves and you guys for year two of TPBC. So keep an eye on our social media at the number two person book club on Twitter 
and Instagram. And if you have suggestions, there's never been a better time to lob them our way. So if there's anything special you'd like to see in the next year of the podcast, anything you'd like to know, or any questions that you have about Ronnie's love life, as always, please reach out to us and we will do our very best to accommodate you. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you so much. Stay healthy out there. We'll see you in the blanket fort. Bye. <laughs> Bye.